We normally read the text that we're going to teach from, but we didn't do that this morning. So I would like for you, I know you just got comfortable sitting for a second, um, but just out of reverence for the Word of God, I'd like to stand and we'll turn to the book of Acts, chapter 11. We're starting at verse 19. We'll read to the end of the chapter. Acts chapter 11, 19 through 30. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that rose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, technical word for Gentiles, preaching or evangelizing, uangelizomai, that word preaching, it's the same word for sharing the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. The news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent out Apostello. He's an apostle from the church of Jerusalem. Barnabas to go as far as to Antioch. When he had came, he had seen the grace of God and he was glad. And he encouraged them that with resolute or purpose of heart, they should cleave or continue with the Lord. Why? For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and faith. The result? A great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed from Tarsus to seek Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many of people, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And in these days, the days of preaching and teaching and declaring the word of God, in those days prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed or signified, indicated by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, Oikonos, the inhabited world, the Roman Empire, which did happen in the days of Claudius Caesar. 45 AD is when this famine occurred. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to do a service to the brethren dwelling in Judea. And this they did, and they sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Father, this morning as we try to unpack what this church was like at Antioch, our prayers, the words that we sang from that last song, Lord, Open our eyes. We want to see Jesus. 
These people were called Christians. Help us to understand what this church was like. And Father, help us to go away from here emulating, acting upon what we understand is revealed to us in your word. We pray this for your kingdom. We pray this for your glory that people would see Jesus in us. We ask this in his name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, the Lord, I think, is orchestrating this entire service this morning. I had no idea of what the missions moment was going to be. But as I'm looking at this passage that we're going to expound this morning, I look at the songs that Jordan has prepared for us this morning to sing in worship. God is doing something here at North Valley Bible Church this morning. God is here in our midst. When God's people assemble together, whether you call it a building or whether you call it a shade tree or whether it's a tent, God is here in our midst. And God has a message for us this morning. The Lord laid on my heart a message that's pretty simple. And that is when God's word is proclaimed, God's people respond. That's what we're seeing here at the Church of Antioch. God's Word is being preached. God's Word is being proclaimed and people are responding to God's Word. You can't remain neutral about the person of Jesus. Jesus said, if you're not with me, you're against me. Jesus said, if you're not gathering, you're scattering. Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. He will cleave to the one or he'll despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and the world. You can't come to God's word and remain neutral. If you don't respond to God's word, in essence, you are rejecting God's word. All through the Old Testament, when God's prophets spoke... There was an expectancy to respond to the teaching of the Word of God. We see this through the book of Acts. We see people scattered and they're preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. They're proclaiming the good news about who Jesus is. That Jesus is God incarnate. That He is the wonderful counselor. That He is the Prince of Peace. He is the everlasting Father and Jesus is the mighty God. And Jesus Christ took upon himself our sin in our place as our substitute. Jesus Christ was laid in the tomb for our sin. And on the third day, Jesus Christ came alive. And you can't be neutral about that message. Either you respond in faith and say yes to Christ, or you'll be like those in Athens. And they said that they mocked, saying, we, want to hear, we don't want to hear any more about this Jesus you can't remain neutral. When Barnabas came to the church at Antioch, they sent him because he was a man filled with the Holy Spirit. And what did he do? He began to teach and people responded to the teaching of the Word of God. They acted upon what they heard and many people came to know the Lord. So what does he do? He goes and gets another teacher from the city of Tarsus. When Saul comes, they assemble for an entire year. And we know that they were responding to the Word of God. Why? Because they were called Christians in Antioch. Their lives had been so changed. 
so transformed that the only word that they could find, a derogatory term, mind you, was they called them little Jesuses. Oh, would to God that somebody would find a derogatory term and call that about me. That he couldn't find anything else wrong with me but call me that. Unfortunately, there's probably a lot of other things they can call me. But I wish that they would call me a Christian. When Agrippa was almost persuaded to become a Christian, Paul said, I would to God you are all together as I am. Totally sold out for this Jesus. Except for these chains. I don't wish that on anybody, Paul said. When God's word is preached, people respond to the message. When people heard about the tornadoes in Iowa, people responded with help. When Agabus comes to church at Antioch and he says there's going to be a great famine, the people respond. No one initiated this. This was a movement and an act of the Holy Spirit. This was indicative of the church of Antioch. I was reading A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite authors, and he says, you know the church is gone to rot when it starts out with the rote. What he meant by that is the rote memory. You know the songs, you know the pages, you know the seat that you always sit in, and by rote memory you come in and you go through the routine. He says, then rote slips into a rut. And rut long enough turns into rot. He says, you know a church has gone from rote to rut to rot when you can predict everything that's going to happen on a Sunday morning. Now we have a bulletin and you can predict when we're going to sing a song and you can predict when we're going to do a missions moment. Oh, but God forbid that we would ever predict what the Holy Spirit is going to do in our midst when God's word is preached from this pulpit, not because I'm speaking, not because Dan is preaching, but because it is the authority of God's word. During those days when people were listening to the word of God, certain prophets came down from Jerusalem. One of them's name was Agabus, and Agabus stood because Agabus had something to say, something to address God's people with. And they didn't sit on a pew. They didn't sit in their chair and be passive. They determined to do something. This was indicative of the church at Antioch. In fact, one time they were worshiping, Acts chapter 13, they were all assembled together. They were fasting. They were praying. They were worshiping God. And the Holy Spirit again spoke to that church. You couldn't predict what was going to happen on a Sunday morning. You didn't know what the Spirit of God was going to do in that church because the Holy Spirit ruled and He reigned and He had the right to move among the people. And that day the Holy Spirit said, Separate unto me Paul and Barnabas for the work whereunto I have called them. Now that's a teachable church when they take their very best pastor teachers and they release them and send them off somewhere else. They didn't know that was going to happen that Sunday morning when they gathered together. But God the Holy Spirit did. What does God want to do with us this morning? The Old Testament prophets always called people to action and proclamation. I'm reading through the book of Ezekiel right now. And I read this this week. And it challenged me. When I come to the Bible, how do I respond to it? A lot of times, boy, I think so-and-so ought to be listening to what I'm reading right now. And God's saying, no, so-and-so doesn't need to listen to it. You need to hear what I'm saying to your heart. Well, people came before Ezekiel and they said, Ezekiel, we want to hear the word of God. And this is the way he rebuked them. He responded. He says, God describes me 
Ezekiel as a messenger, as one who can play well on an instrument. Everyone left saying, what a lovely tune. What a lovely sermon, Pastor Ezekiel. For they hear the words, but they do not do them. And at one comes to, when it comes to pass, that is my judgment is going to come on, they will surely come to pass because I have spoken. They will know that a prophet has been among you. The fast that God requires in the days of Isaiah wasn't a facade. It wasn't going through the rote ritual of coming to church every morning. In fact, Isaiah says it like this. He says, is this the fast that I have chosen? A day to fall and afflict one's soul? Is it to bow down your head like a bulrush? Is it to spread sackcloth and ash upon you? Will you call this a fast that's acceptable to the Lord? Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bands of wickedness. To undo heavy burdens. To let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Is it not to deal your bread with the hungry? To bring out the poor that have been cast out of their house? When you see the naked, isn't it for you to cover him? But why do you hide yourself from their flesh? That is the kind of fast that God is requiring of us. To hear God's word and to respond to it. I talked about Amos this morning in our Sunday school class, and Amos wasn't a prophet. But Amos was called by God to address the sins of Samaria. And he uses some similes to describe who he was. In Amos chapter 3, he uses a simile of a lion. He says, will a lion roar in the forest and has taken nothing? No, Elias roar, a lion roars because he's captured something. Will a young lion cry out in his den if it's taken nothing? Obviously not. Can a bird fall in a snare when no trap has been laid for him? Shall one take up a snare from the earth and there's nothing in it? And then he says this, shall a trumpet blow in the city and the people not take warning. When God's messenger speaks, there's an expected response to the message. Ezekiel says, I am like a watchman on the walls. And when I blow the trumpet, they've got to take warning. And if they don't take warning, I will require the blood on their hands. A trumpet has blown. Shall there be evil in the city and the Lord has not done it? Surely I, the Lord, will do nothing, but I reveal it to my secrets, to my prophets. The lion has roared. Who will not fear? The Lord has spoken. Who can but prophesy? The people were expected to be moved to action. And it was no different in the church at Antioch. And I submit to you, it is no different for North Valley Bible Church. God wants a people who are pliable to his word. Jeremiah describes it as soft, moldable clay. And when that clay got hardened and that clay got stiff, the potter threw it out because there was nothing he could do with it. God wants our hearts tender to his word. And we show that by response to the message of God's word. In those days, certain prophets come down, and Agabus is one of them. 
We've already kind of looked at how these people were responding. I want to just kind of quickly, just quickly go through what was happening at this church at Antioch. They were scattered everywhere. They were evangelizing. They were bringing the good news of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. He is our only justifiable substitute. God remains just and that he judges our sin and God can also justify us because he looks upon the righteousness of Christ. And one day when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, either we have said yes to Jesus or we haven't. And that's what they were proclaiming. And when God's message is preached, the hand of the Lord was with them because it was his message. When Paul uh, or when Barnabas comes to Antioch, he's an encourager. And he tells them with purpose of heart to cleave to the Lord. Now, I, I know a little Greek, and he doesn't own, own a restaurant, but the, the little bit of Greek that I do know, this word with purpose of heart, it's almost untranslatable. It's two words that you and I are very familiar with. It's pro-thesis. Pro is something that comes before. A thesis is a declared statement. And he says, I want you to go before and declare a statement. That is, make a decision by my teaching that you are going to abide and stick with Christ. Come up with a plan. And this is what you're going to resolve to live your life by. That's what Barnabas was doing. And what does it tell us? It says, and many more were added to the Lord because Barnabas was declaring the word of God. When Saul gets there, he teaches and the people are called Christians. Another book that I'm reading right now is a book called Finding Vision for Your Church. The man who wrote it, his name is Michael Milton, and he says this about biblical preaching. You cannot expect preaching that is anointed by God to produce the blessing in the lives of the hearers unless the whole effort is under the divine appointment of Almighty God. And that's what's happening in the church of Antioch. God has ordained all of this. God has scattered his disciples out of the city of Jerusalem because they wouldn't go. They're bringing the gospel. Some people are now taking it to the Gentiles. The Gentiles are hearing this. The church of Jerusalem sends out a Barnabas guy to encourage people. Barnabas then finds Saul and God is in the midst of this and God is working through this church. Let's look at... Agabus for a second here in, in uh, chapter 11, verse 27 through 30. And then we're going to kind of take a side rail and I'm going to preach on stewardship. And what does it mean to give our possessions and how does God want us to do it? Because that's the example we're seeing here at this church of Antioch. I can't remember the last time I heard a message on giving. I think we've let the health and wealth and prosperity teachers run us a little bit shy from preaching on giving and what we do with our wealth. I'm not a wealth and prosperity teacher, and Dan didn't ask me to preach on giving because our coffers are a little bit low. This is where the passage just happens to be this Sunday. And that's the beauty of expository teaching. When you come against the passage, you just preach the Word of God. And in this passage, we see people spontaneously giving of their resources because they hear about a need. That's what God wants from his people. When you hear the word of God spoken, God's people do the right thing and turn it into godly action. 
In verse 27, it says, In these days prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Don't have time this morning to talk about the New Testament prophet, what his role was like and all that he did. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we find a good explanation of what prophets did in the New Testament. We find in 1 John chapter 3, or chapter 4 rather, that we're not to believe every spirit because many false prophets have gone out. And we know how to judge those false prophets. In 2 Peter chapter 2, we're told that as there were false prophets in the old dispensation, there will be false teachers among you and how we can discern that. But the passage really isn't talking about the role of a prophet, so I'm not going to go there this morning. But what we're going to see is that it was the Spirit of God that moved on this messenger. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit. He was signifying. He was Spirit-filled. It was the Spirit of God that was controlling Agabus. We know that because what he prophesied comes to pass. That's one of the conditions we're told in Deuteronomy chapter 13 and Deuteronomy chapter 18. A biblical prophet, if what he says doesn't come to pass, don't fear him. He's not from God. If he tells you to go after a different God other than the God of the Bible, don't listen to him. He's not a prophet of God. But Agabus was a prophet of God. He indicates by the Spirit that a famine is coming. It happened in 45 A.D. We've got many, many secular historians, Josephus, Eusebius, Tatticus, all these men talk about this huge dearth that happened in 45 A.D. That was the third year of Claudius Caesar, and it went for four long years, and Jerusalem was so susceptible to this famine. Now you ask yourself, why was Jerusalem so susceptible to a famine? One of the reasons was they had displaced people from all over the Roman Empire. On the day of Pentecost, they came from everywhere to hear the word of God. And we're told that 3,000 souls were added to the church. We're told in Acts chapter 5 that another 5,000 souls were added to the church. You've got this huge dispersed population, and a lot of them were Hellenists. A lot of them were transplant Jews who were converting to Judaism. And now they're converting to Christianity. They've got no jobs. They've got no income. And so this church was susceptible to the famine. Another thing that made this church susceptible to the famine was they were willing to stand up for Jesus Christ. You stand up for Jesus Christ, yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And this church was going through severe persecution. They were losing their property. They were losing their jobs. And so this church was in dire need when a famine hit. And so Agabus comes and he tells the church at Antioch, there is a sister church, other believers in Christ, and they need some help. It's a beautiful story of how God's people work together, how barriers are torn down. This is a Gentile church. The Jewish people used to look at Gentiles as dogs, and now God is saying, I want you to help these people who wouldn't have anything to do with you. And they said, yes, we've been changed by Christ, and we're going to help. Let's look at what he says. So Agabus stands up. He indicates by the Spirit a great famine is going to come through all the earth, which happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each one according to his ability. I'm going to read from the, from the NASB just quickly this verse because it brings out the pronouns emphatically in the NASB, the New American Standard Bible. It translates this verse like this. If I can find it. Well, I'm not going to bother with that. We're just going to stick with the New King James. But in the, in the Greek, we've got two pronouns. We've got the word everyone, each one, and any. 
And it's not really translatable, so it's, it's hard to get the idea. But the idea, it was every single person, anyone who had any means, each one of them determined to do something. So the first thing I see about giving and stewardship is that none of us are exempt. God expects the entire corporate body to be involved in this thing called stewardship, giving our resources. Every one of us has received a blessing from God. This is the wealthiest country on the face of the earth. There's not a one of us in this room that could claim to be poor. We are so blessed. This Antioch church was blessed. And he says, each one of you, according to his ability... And then we've got the infinitive to do what? To send relief. But the main verb of this sentence is this one word, determined. The church determined to do something. They were going to put the preaching into action. They wanted to send relief. The word for relief, the New King James, is the Greek word deaconess or a service, a ministry. They wanted to have a ministry to this church, and so they did something about it. Now, we're going to do a little Bible study this morning, and we're going to look at the offerings that were given for this church at Jerusalem. It wasn't just the church at Antioch that was involved in this giving. The churches of Macedonia were involved in this spiritual worship of giving to the poor saints at Jerusalem. We're going to look at them and we're going to see how giving ought to be done, how it ought to affect our hearts. We're going to look at the churches of Corinth and how the churches of Achaia were encouraged to be a part of this giving. And the churches of Galatia were supposed to be part of this giving. It was a universal body of Christ, everyone involved, each one as they had ability. So this first place we're going to go is the book of Romans. So I'm going to give you just a few seconds. The book of Romans is the next book, so it won't be hard to find. The book of Acts and the book of Romans and turn to chapter 15. Then we're going to start reading from verses 23 through 28. And we're going to see this same offering spoken of here. And he's referring to the Macedonian churches and the churches of Achaia in this giving. Then we're going to make some just basic observations from this. Acts, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 15. We'll start reading at verse 22, just to get the context, for this reason, Paul says, I've also been much hindered from coming to you. Paul wanted to get to the city of Rome, but now no longer having place in these parts and having a great desire to come many years to you, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you, for I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you. Paul expects this church to help him get to Spain, if at first I may enjoy your company for a while. But now... So Paul wants to go to Rome, but he's got something he has to do first. It's hard for me to imagine that an evangelist, a missionary pastor teacher, says, I have a priority, and that priority is taking me to the city of Jerusalem. I've got to do this first. This comes first. But now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister. And it's that same Greek word to send relief to Diakonus to do a practical service of ministry. I've got to go to Jerusalem first. There's something of necessity, something practical, something that I've got to do. And this is why, verse 26, for it 
pleased those from Macedonia. Giving should be something that we're pleased to do. No one should have to come up here and, 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 and bribe you, threaten you, or cajole you and promise that if you will give to the church, God's going to open the windows of heaven and you're going to have a Learjet to fly around on. You should just be pleased to do it. It says here, they were pleased. And that word comes up twice. It comes up in verse 27. They were pleased indeed. It was a pleasure to give. Now, why is it a pleasure to give? I think it's because of one thing. It's because God so loved the world that God gave. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That even though our Lord was rich, surrounded in heaven with praise and adoration, yet for our sakes Jesus became poor. So that through His poverty, our lives might be rich and full. It should be a pleasure to give back to God knowing that He has not withheld any good thing from us. It was their pleasure to give. Those of Macedonia, that's the churches of Philippi, the churches of Thessalonica, and of Achaia, that's Corinth, to make a certain contribution to the poor among the saints who are at Jerusalem. You see, it wasn't just the church of Antioch that was doing this. It was the universal church. All were involved. It pleased them. And why? Look at verse 27. They are their debtors. Ophilo, the Greek word means they have a spiritual and moral obligation to give. Even though I give willingly, even though we ought to give voluntarily, spiritually speaking, we have a moral obligation to be part of a giving church this morning. Why? If you are partakers of spiritual things, Paul says, it is your responsibility to share in material things. That's sort of a paraphrase of the rest of this verse. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, speaking of the Jews, where did the gospel originate? Where did this message originate in Jerusalem? Who were the missionaries that were being sent out? They were coming from Jerusalem, Paul and Barnabas. It is their duty to minister to them in material things. Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of Spain. What does Paul call this offering? He calls it fruit. That tells me something about giving. It tells me that giving is the evidence of the genuineness of your faith. Paul says it like this to the Corinthians. He says, I want to prove the genuineness of your faith by the sincerity of others. My dad used to put it this way, either put up or shut up. My dad had a, quite a way with words. I, I won't get into all my dad's expressions. But he was pretty blunt. And that's what Paul is saying here. I am sealing. A seal was something that you would put on an envelope because you said this was genuine. And fruit is evidence. 
And he's saying that the Macedonians and the Achaeans, I'm taking this fruit, this evidence, because it's showing the genuineness of their faith, because they're well pleased to do this. They're volunteering to do it, and they understand that they are under a spiritual and moral obligation to give. Let's turn over to the Corinthian church. One more letter over, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. The same collection. We're talking about the same thing. If anybody says that the Bible is a conspiracy, they're, they, 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 they're blowing my mind because we've got the writer of Acts, we've got a letter of Romans, we've got the letter to Corinthians. And so whoever made this up was a genius if this is a conspiracy. No, this is truth. This is God's word. This famine actually happened in the days of Claudius. The Antioch church took up an offering. The Macedonians took up an offering. The Achaeans took an offering. Paul writes the Romans about it. Now he's writing the Corinthians to do the same thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Now concerning the collection for the saints, I want an offering for the people in Jerusalem. I'm speaking about this collection. As I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, Galatia was also supposed to be a part of this. So you must also do. On the first day of the week, that's when believers come together. We see something here that's also repeated in in the Antioch church, also repeated in the Macedonian church. Let each one of you, the entire congregation is responsible to get involved. It's not the responsibility of the wealthy people. The ones who have and the ones who have not. Everyone is to be involved in giving, but that giving is proportionate. If you've got a little, you give a little. If you've got a lot, you give a lot. That's what he's saying here. Let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper. As the degree that God blesses you were to be a blessing to other people. And when I come, you may approve in your letters and I will send them to to bear this gift to Jerusalem. This was an offering to go back to Jerusalem. Let's just summarize some of the things that we've learned so far about giving and about the example. It's something that we determined to do when we hear of a need, the Antiochian church, the Macedonians, they were well pleased. They gave voluntarily. They gave joyfully. There's a spiritual duty for us when we are spiritually blessed to give something materially. materially. We perform this duty. It's really a worship to God. It's a ministry and it's a service. And fruit is the evidence of genuine love. In the Example of 1 Corinthians 16, we see that giving is to be done regularly and corporately on the first day of the week. Our giving should be a regular part of our Christian discipline, not a once-off when you come together on the first day of the week. It's something that's shared corporately, each one of you. Everyone should be evolved, and it's done proportionately. We've got one last example to look at, and that's the Macedonians. The Macedonians was probably the most giving church that Paul knew. In fact, he wrote an entire letter, a thank you letter, for their giving to him. He says, when I left Macedonia, there was no other church that shared with me concerning giving except for you Macedonians. He says, I'm writing this thank you letter not because I desire more of a gift, But I want you to know that fruit is abounding to your account. The beauty of giving to the Lord as we are laying up treasures in heaven where neither moth corrupts nor rust destroys and thieves don't break through and steal. Because this morning, I want you to understand where your treasure is. 
That's where your heart is. And the Macedonians are an incredible example of generosity. Flip over one more book to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We'll read the first five verses. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. That's Philippi, Thessalonica. I want you to know that God has given them a supernatural ability. That's what grace is. Grace is the supernatural ability that only comes from God that's bestowed to do God's work. The Macedonians have been gifted to this. And here's the result of God bestowing this grace. That in a great trial of affliction, these people aren't giving out of abundance. They're giving out of affliction. The abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded the riches of their liberality. Apolus, it means genuineness. It means transparency. It means that having an open eye. Jesus uses the same word in a parable. And he says, if your eye is liberal, if your eye is generous, your whole body is full of light. When you look out with a generous, genuine heart, when you look out with a generous heart, when you look out with a givingness, a liberalness, willing to give, Jesus said, your whole body is full of light. And the, the, the Macedonians were abounding in this full of light. Their lives were full. I bear them witness according to their power. The old King James says, it's the Greek word dunamen. It could have the idea of their ability. According to their ability, yes, and even beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we should receive the gift. And the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. That word has occurred in every single passage. The service meeting of the needs of the saints. A spiritual worship through giving. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord. That's where it begins, isn't it? It begins by giving ourselves to the Lord. Let's look at the Macedonians and let's glean a couple of things. True generosity springs from the heart, not because you have an abundance of goods. The tax collectors are kind to tax collectors. People lend because they hope to get something back. But true generosity when you have nothing to gain from it except the joy of giving unto the Lord. They didn't give because they had great wealth. In fact, it came out of the abundance of their poverty. Second, giving ought to be done not just freely, but giving ought to be done sacrificially. One of the most convicting verses to me in the Old Testament was when David was about to give a sacrifice for the building of the temple. And Onan says, I'm going to give you 
my threshing implements. I'm going to give you all my animals. And you can make a sacrifice here on Mount Moriah to the Lord. And David says this, God forbid that I should worship God with that which costs me nothing. Giving needs to be sacrificial. Giving needs to be genuine and generous. But it starts by fully surrendering yourself to the Lord. And that naturally leads us then to give to others. This morning, as I close, I want to just give us some application to this teaching this morning. Hearing God's word should lead all of us to a definite plan of action. Second, surrendering yourself to the Lord will lead to fruit. Genuine evidence of the Christian life is measured by the fruit of the Christian life. Sharing with the body of Christ is an obligation when we have been partakers of God's monetary and spiritual blessings. And lastly, just a reminder that where our treasure is, it is evidenced by what we do with our resources. Let's close in prayer. Father, the story of the book of Acts isn't just a dead history lesson of what happened at one church in Antioch. It's an example of what was happening in every single church that the Apostle Paul established. In 1 Corinthians 16, he says, Just as I gave orders to the other churches, you too be a part of it. God, this is the pattern that you have left for the New Testament church. We are to be a concerned people for people's needs. We should be moved to action when God's word is taught. And God, you expect every one of us to freely, willingly, not under compulsion, give back to you a portion of what you have prospered us with. Father, I pray that North Valley Bible Church would be a giving, sharing community of people where we corporately work together to meet the needs of the body of Christ. We pray this for your glory and in your name. Amen.